0: Great. Thank you, Ellie. Please do grab a Bible and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. As Lee said just a little bit earlier, um, this is the first time since we planted St. Thomas's a year ago that we've gone off the lectionary reading for the day. And um, I'm speaking on, on this passage, which we really feel God has given to us as a time for, as a passage for us now as the church, um, particularly on the back of The announcement yesterday from the Prime Minister about the lockdown. Um, So we're praying that God would speak to us as a church community through this passage. So it's Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to pray for us before we work through these verses together. So Father, we thank you for your love for us. Jesus, we thank you that you died for us. And Spirit, we thank you that you're here with us. And we pray that you take the truth of your amazing word and apply it to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, so hopefully you've got Jeremiah 29 up on a tablet or a phone or a Bible or something. We're going to read to verse 12 together. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people, Nebuchadnezzar, had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried To Babylon from Jerusalem. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile pray to the Lord for it for if it prospers you too will prosper yes this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have they are prophesying lies to you in my name I have not sent them declares the Lord this is what the Lord says When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. This is the word of the Lord so church we find ourselves today in strange times don't we the prime minister last night announced that there's going to be another national lockdown it's going to last at least four weeks but how long it lasts for we don't really know but i've just got a sense that this um, these amazing verses from jeremiah 29 that god spoke to a group of people in exile who found themselves in strange times and in a strange land can speak directly to us as we sit here in St. Thomas's or watch online here in Newcastle today. Jeremiah 29 was written in the context of God's people, as I've said, finding themselves in a foreign land, in a culture that they did not understand, eating foods that they may have not tasted before, following a set of laws that they didn't like. They were surrounded by people that were worshipping other gods and false Idols, And what's happened in the build-up to Jeremiah chapter 29, as we read in the first four verses of this chapter, is that the Jewish people, God's people, have been taken from Israel, from Jerusalem, to this strange city, to Babylon. And the Babylonian army have come and taken them captive and have carried them off from Jerusalem to Babylon. They've literally ripped people from their home. They've taken a whole a whole group of people and just brought them to this city from the city that they know from the city that they love and they find themselves in Babylon and they really do not want to be there I bet that God's people felt trapped I bet they were asking every day Lord please release us from this I bet they were praying every single day Lord please come and do something so that we don't have to live in this horrible situation Anymore, And remember, God's people have have a history of being in captivity. In the not-too-distant memory for God's people, the Jewish people, they've got in their national psyche hundreds and hundreds of years of being kept as slaves in Egypt. And so this, being taken to Babylon, it's a sense of deja vu. Here we go again. Notice in verse 2 that we're told that the royal family, the leaders, the priests, the skilled workers and the artisans were the first to be carried off from Jerusalem, from Israel to Babylon. Well, why would that happen? That would happen because Babylon wanted to take the people at set culture, the leaders of God's people. They wanted to take them first to Babylon because if you can infiltrate these people with the Babylonian way of life, the Babylonian culture, Babylonian religion, if you can get the royal family, the priests, the skilled workers and the artisans, then you've got a really good chance of seeing the whole of God's people effectively colonized by a Babylonian way of life. They wanted to infiltrate the very practices of God's people. Now, God's people... The Jewish people had decided to settle to settle on the outskirts of Babylon they decided not to move into the city center they decided to live on the outskirts and to stay separate they wanted absolutely no assimilation at all with the Babylonian people now part of the reason for this is there were some prophets around at the time who were saying to God's people don't worry this is all going to be over in just a few months Settle on the outskirts of the city because in just a short time, you're going to be back in Jerusalem and the good old days are going to be back. Remember when you can worship, how you, like, how you remember worshiping. When you can do community in the way that you remember doing community, don't worry about it because those days are coming. So don't settle down. And of course, lots of God's people would have wanted to hear that, wouldn't they? Who wants to be in captivity? Who wants to find themselves in a time or in a culture or in a place where we're not comfortable with the social dynamic around us, where we're not comfortable with the way that we have to worship or the laws that we have to adopt? adopt? God's people would have been desperate to hear these prophecies, but God says they're false teaching and do not listen to them. It's in that context that God speaks. It's in that context that this letter from God to his people comes through Jeremiah. And this letter would have been shocking to God's people. It would have been really hard for them to to hear. And it would have been really painful. When they heard that a letter was coming from God, they'd have expected a message of deliverance, of immediate deliverance, of immediate salvation, a promise that the good old days were coming back. But that is not what they get at all. The sovereign God had another plan. God was in control and he had a plan for his people that was different to their own. Now, before we look at the context and the contents of the letter, what does this have to do with us today? Well, right now, it feels, doesn't it, as if we're in our own Captivity. Now I'm not saying that it's anywhere near compared to being basically human trafficked from one nation to another. Being forced literally dragged from one city to another. I'm not saying that it's anywhere close to that. But we do find ourselves, don't we, in strange times. Lots of us here in in church today or maybe even watching online have only been in Newcastle for a few weeks. We find ourselves in a strange city we're not able to worship in the way that we want to worship i've spoken to students who can count on just one or two hands the number of times that they've left their student halls of residence since moving to newcastle it feels strange because we can't worship how we normally would we're sat here today in masks if you'd have told me a year ago that we'd be sat physically distant in church not being able to sing and having to wear a face covering I'd have laughed and yet here we are lots of this church family have recently moved to the city to find a job or for a job and workplaces aren't allowed to meet in the normal way I know people in this church family who've moved for a job and have yet to go to their workplace moved just after Newcastle went into local lockdown and are yet to properly hang out with anybody in this city we're in very strange times indeed You'll know that this church was planted just over a year ago by a group of about 25 people that moved to Newcastle to get this, to get this church off the, off the ground. We've been in lockdown for longer than we have not. And so it feels, I'm sure this has gone through all of the planting team's mind, what on earth are we doing here? Why have we moved to this city that we didn't really know when the first year of the church that we were called to plant has been online for the majority of it. We've not in, be, even been able to meet in person. And that's very tempting for us, and it's completely natural, I suppose, on one level to think, what on earth am I doing here? Why am I studying in Newcastle at this time? Why did I move to Newcastle? Why did I join St. Thomas's at this time when we can't even be together and do community in the ways that we're used to? Is there any purpose to any of it? We're all praying, aren't we, for a way out? We're praying for it to end. We're praying for a vaccine. And quite rightly, we should be praying for all of those things. We're praying that we don't have to do a physically distanced church to church again. We're praying that we're able to sing again when we worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what if the words that God spoke to Jeremiah, to his people as they were in captivity, can apply directly to our lives today? What if we choose to believe today that God really is sovereign, that he really does have a plan and he really does know what he's doing? Look at verse four. This is my first point. Remember, God says to the people, It is I, the Lord, that have carried you here. Verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God carried his people from Jerusalem to to Babylon. It was all part of God's divine plan. He'd taken his people to this strange city. Why? Why? So they could be a light in a dark place. And so that God could use them to reveal his glory, his majesty, his wonder, and his purposes. But they thought, well, the Babylonian army have taken us here. King Nebuchadnezzar rounded rounded us up and brought us here to Babylon. And yet the Lord says, trust me, my people. It is I that have carried you here. Now, in the same way, you, you may be sat here today or watching online and thinking you've been carried here by some strange force, that you're only here because you applied to go to Northumbria University or Newcastle University. You're only here because you um, decided to come and plant St. Thomas's. You're only here because you decided that you'd apply for a job in Newcastle and you got it. You're only here because you just so happened to have been born in Newcastle or the Northeast. And it feels like that because lots of us have turned up or arrived or we find ourselves in this city that we know our love and it all feels different. I mean, university students can't even have teaching that isn't like normal university teaching at the minute. What is happening? Well, remember this. It is the Lord that carried you here. It's the Lord that carried you here. Now, knowing this truth, knowing this truth changes everything. It means that when things are difficult, we remember that God has a purpose. We remember that when we feel lonely and isolated, that God has a plan. We might not be able to see it yet, but God is sovereign and God is in control. There's a proverb from the book of Proverbs that says this. We may put one foot in front of another. This is a verse in Proverbs. We may put one foot in front of another. But it's God that directs our footsteps. It's God that directs our footsteps. Now, I can remember when Ellie and I had just moved here. We moved here long before any of the rest of the team had moved. And we were here by ourselves for a few months. We didn't even know we'd be planting into St. Thomas's when we first moved. And it really mattered to us that we could say, we know that the Lord has called us here. We're not just here by accident, but we know that God has a plan. Because when things are difficult, we can say, God carried us here. Now, to those of you who are wondering what on earth is going on, remember that God carried you here. Now, how do we act living out in faith that God has a plan and that God really does mean for you to be sat in this building right now, that God really does mean for you to be part of this church family, to be studying in Newcastle or working in Newcastle? Well, the way that we enact that, the way that we live that out, and this is my second point, is that we put down roots we settle look at what God says to the exile in verses exiles in verses 5 to 6 build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce marry and have sons and daughters find wives to your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there do not decrease how do you trust in the sovereignty of God How do you act out living as if God really does have a plan for you here in Newcastle, for your time at university, for your job, for your family right at this moment? The way that you do it is by building houses, by getting married, by planting gardens, by eating the fruit of the land. What is God telling the exiles to do here? To build a life in Babylon put down roots, settle down. Now, as I've said, this would have been absolutely shocking to God's people. As I said earlier, all they wanted was for a way out. They were hoping and waiting for a promise from God that he was going to give them a way out. And instead, in the midst of the difficult circumstances, God says, commit to being here. Commit to being here. In other words, people, stop living on the outskirts of the city. Stop living on the outskirts of Babylon and move right into the heart of the city. Don't behave like you're just a visitor. Don't behave like you're just here for a few weeks. Don't behave like you're just a tourist. But actually live your life here. Now again, isn't this relevant for us? Do you know that feelings usually follow actions? In marriage prep, Ellie and I have the privilege of doing a lot of marriage prep with couples who are um, getting married and um, we also have the immense privilege of doing um, marriage counseling with couples from the odd time to time. And we always say this, that feelings usually follow actions. And so um, Tim Keller says this in his book, Meaning of Marriage, I'm just using marriage as an example here. It's not love that sustains marriage. It's marriage that sustains love. In other words, it's as you live out your vows, as you live out your promises to each other, it's that which grows love. Now, you can apply that to any wide variety of contexts. If you choose to do what the Lord has asked of you in Newcastle, for example, or wherever it is that you're watching this, as you choose to do that, Your love for the place will grow, because feelings follow actions. If we commit to this city, it will begin to feel like home. If we don't, then it won't. Now it's so tempting, particularly in a global pandemic, to look at the good old days when we were not in lockdown Or to think about the place that we've moved from, if we have just moved. Or to think about the good old days of Newcastle before physical distancing. And to long for those days. But what is God asking us to do? To put down roots. Now how do we do that? We do that by building meaningful relationships, by building intentional relationships with people in this city. If you're here for three years as a student, commit to being here for those three years and be open to the fact that God may say, do four or do five. Do you know that Newcastle has, I think, the highest retention rate of any university city in the country? In other words, if you move here as a student, you're more likely to stay than leave. Commit to being here for however long it is that the Lord is calling you here. Now there is, of course, attention in this. God's people were wanting to live a life that was completely separate from the Babylonians. But that was not God's plan. They wanted, if you like, an almost separatist attitude. Okay, we're here, we've been taken here by force, but we'll do everything possible to live as completely separate from the, from the Babylonian people as possible. Now, if they did that, how on earth could they possibly be a light in a dark place? If they just lived with their own walls up, never meeting anybody from Babylon, never getting to know the culture, never trying the cuisine, always walking past the Babylonian takeaway on the night out and going straight for what they always knew, how would they get to know the place? They'd completely withdrawn from society. They'd become separatist. God says, don't do that. He tells them to settle in the city. But what he doesn't want them to do by settling in the city is for them to adopt the Babylonian culture, lock, stock, and barrel, so they stop being distinctive as God's people. God doesn't want that for them. He wants them to follow the Jewish laws. He wants them to worship him as the one true God. Of course, he doesn't want them worshiping false idols or false gods. So he wants them to commit to the city, but he doesn't want them to become like the Babylonians. He doesn't want them to become so synergistic, if you like, with them, to synergize completely with who they are. He doesn't want them to take on their love for money or their worldview. Now, the same tension is is in a very real way here for us in Newcastle at this time. We can't live separate lives in Christian ghettos because we'll never reach anyone who doesn't know Jesus. And that's the command that God has placed on our life. But we also need to remember that our ultimate home isn't here, but it's in the kingdom of God with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and everybody that he's chosen to save and rescue. If we were just to, just use this as an example, take lock, stock, and barrel, Newcastle culture, we might move here, and we'd begin to worship at St. James's Park, because the religion of, the religion of Newcastle is football. The gods and goddesses, if you like, are the people that are significant in the football club. Tens and tens of thousands of people worship at that modern day cathedral every single week. People's emotions and lifestyles and all kinds of things are dictated by that one thing. Now, I love football as much as anybody, but you can't just take on a city's culture blindly. So the call for it is, is to commit, but to keep our Christian distinctiveness. Tim Keller has a really helpful analogy in this. The Bible, you know, tells us to be ambassadors. And Tim Keller says that an ambassador is somebody from country A who moves to country B, remembering that they're always supposed to um, put country A's interests first and foremost, but they learn the language and the culture of country B so that they can represent one to the other, but always remembering they're from country A. So it's a little bit like this. If I was an ambassador, which I'm not, but let's pretend that I'm an ambassador from the UK and I've been sent by the government to be the ambassador in Spain, okay? The only way that I can be a successful ambassador in Spain is to commit for the time I'm in Spain to actually be there, to get to know the culture, to get to know the cuisine, to learn the language so that I can converse with the Spanish people, but never forgetting that my allegiance first and foremost is to the United Kingdom. And so I always have them in mind. I'm there to represent their interests. Now, all of us gathered here today, if you call yourself a Christian, you are an ambassador. You're an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. And that means that while we live here or whichever city it is that you're watching this from, while you live in this city... You you get to know it. You get to love it. You learn what makes the people tick. You learn what makes the region tick. If you're in a university, you get to know the culture of the university or your workplace or your street, your neighbors, whatever it might be. But you do so never forgetting that your first allegiance is always to God and that you're here. You've been brought here. The Lord has carried you here to represent him. So how do we do that? How do we represent the kingdom of God? Well, the third point is this. We represent the kingdom of God by seeking the peace and prosperity of the city. Verse seven, verse seven says this. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this is so countercultural, isn't it? We're told all of the time to seek your own peace, seek your own happiness, build your own life. And yet God says to his people who would have desperately wanted peace, the way that you'll get peace, people, is by seeking the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Now, in our culture where, as I've said, we're taught to put ourselves first, this is countercultural for us today. The Hebrew word that is used here for peace is the word shalom. And shalom, it's difficult to sum up what shalom means from Hebrew into English in just a few words. But it, shalom basically means a whole flourishing of peace. And not just peace, but the flourishing of everything that's in that space. And so for us to seek the peace and prosperity of Newcastle. For example, is to seek its economic well-being, to seek its spiritual well-being, its relational well-being, to seek equality, that there might not be differences between people from different socio-economic backgrounds or from different parts of the world, or whatever it might be. Now this is what the exiles were to seek in Babylon, for this city that was not their home. We're to do the same how do we do that? Well, there's a number of ways. The job that God has called you to do here, the family that God has called you to be here with, the course that God has called you to study, whatever it is that you've been brought here to do, as Brogan said last week, if you commit to doing that, And seeing it as the way that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And seeing it as the way that you love your neighbor as yourself. That is one of the ways that you can seek the peace and prosperity of the city. So if you're here and you're a teacher in the Northeast, we've got a few of you in today. The way that you'll do this is by loving the job that God has called you to. And in doing so, realizing that as you teach those kids that you've been called to teach, you're loving God and you're loving your neighbor. For those of you that are doctors the same, for those of you that are students, working in church, whatever it might be, as you bring up your kids or your grandkids, your godchildren, as you do that in this place, that is how you seek the peace and prosperity of the city. You do it by getting involved in the life of the city, by serving the poor, by reaching those on the edge we also do it of course by praying in this verse god says pray to the lord for the city now i've said it before i'll say it again nothing of lasting significance happens without prayer i had a very emotional moment the other day in this church building I was in the office, and John um, Pearson, church warden John, came to get me because there was a woman who was sat at the back of church who told John that she'd been praying for this church for years. It's Glynis, and she's actually come for the first time um, today. She's sat towards the back on the, your left-hand side. Glynis has been praying for years and years for, this, for something like what's happening now to happen in this church. And she's been praying with her prayer partner. She's been interceding for it. She's been writing down words and pictures. She's prayed it in. I was really touched and moved because I discovered for the last two or three years, Glynis has been praying for me and Ellie and Lee and Rachel by name. Before we even knew we were going to be here at St. Thomas's. Glynis has been praying for the city. Been praying for this. Been praying for you. And look what's happened in the life of this church just in 12 months. Even though we've been in lockdown, God has used it for his plans and purposes. Church, we need to learn to pray. Now, as we pray, as we learn to listen to the voice of God, then we'll learn to do this. This is my fourth point. We'll learn to not listen To false teaching. Look at verses eight and nine. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, as I've said, the context of this is that there were lots of false prophets at the time telling the people that they were gonna get out of Babylon, that they were to not not to commit to Babylon. And yet, God had a different plan. Now, God, of course, usually has a different plan to what the world tells us is the plan. God has a different way on forgiveness, on relationships, on the way that we submit to governments and to our leaders. God has a different plan on the way we do human flourishing. God has a different plan on grace, on all of these things. The key for us is to not to submit to the stuff that isn't from God and learn to listen to his voice and not the false teaching that's so prevalent around us. Now how do we do that? We do that by submitting to the word of God. By submitting to the things in the Bible. There's a question that we're faced with every single day, every time we come to church, every time we hear the Bible taught, do we sit under the authority of God's word so God's word directs our footsteps and our life or do we sit in judgment over it and dictate to the Bible how it's going to let us live our life? John Wesley put it like this, the church is to be judged by the scriptures and not the scriptures by the church. It's challenging, isn't it? The church is to be judged by the scriptures and not the scriptures by the church. Now, as we live in the countercultural way that's set out in God's word under the authority of his rule and his reign, we'll learn to be the people that God has called us to be for this place, for this time. Just as God's people had learned what it meant for them to be called to Babylon and learn to be his people in that place and at that time. Now, one of the ways that we cannot encourage us each other to believe lies about ourselves that we may speak over ourselves and not to believe the lies of, some of the lies that are prevalent in culture about whatever issue it might be, is that we need to learn afresh, I think, particularly as we go into this next lockdown, we need to learn afresh what what it means for us to speak God's truth over each other, for us to speak God's word of encouragement over one another every single day. We need to learn afresh what it means for us to be church family. Now, how do you think the exiles went about living their lives in this strange land? With all of this false teaching going on. Well, if we fast forward a few years in the story of God's people, we, I think we pretty much see how they did it. Fast forward a few years and we, we're introduced to Daniel, one of God's people who's in Babylon and is found every single day praying submitting himself to God's word and we lots of us will know the story of Daniel and what happened to him every day he was reflecting on the words of scripture now we're to do the same when life is difficult when it doesn't feel like we can take another step when it doesn't feel like we can face another day of lockdown when it doesn't feel like we can face another day of not seeing our families or not being able to have small group in person or whatever it might be We ask the Lord to speak to us through his word and we pray. Now, as we do that, we'll learn the fifth and final point, which is this. We're to have the long term in mind. This would have been, I think, one of the hardest bits of this letter for God's people to hear. Listen to what God says in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good purpose, my promise to bring you back to this place. This would have come as a really difficult word to God's people. When 70 years are completed, I will bring you back. 70 years of this, 70 years of living in captivity in Babylon, 70 years of living under this rule, this violent rule and regime have just dragged us off to this city. The next verse after this, of course, is the most famous in all of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, verse 11 I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we love to quote that verse to each other, don't we? But it's often taken out of context. The plans that God had, the hope that he was giving for his people, that they would commit to Babylon and they'd be there for 70 years. The plans were 70 years long. So God saying to his people, basically, look, you're in this for the long haul. You need to have the long term in mind. Now as hard as this is for us to hear, and it's difficult for me as one of the most extroverted people you're probably ever likely to meet is we too, even when stuff is difficult, need to have the long-term in mind. We need to choose to live as if we're citizens of this place, of this time, of the way, and the, the, just the stuff that we find ourselves in with a global pandemic at the moment. But we need to do that remembering these two things. Firstly, our true citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. God says to his people, I will bring you home. God says to us, he says to me, he says to you tonight, I will bring you home. We remember that our home is not here. The other thing that we need to do is just to, like God's people had to learn, we need to think long term. Now, this has been a real challenge to me over the past, well, since March, when the first lockdown came into place. You know, the long-term plan for St. Thomas's is that we become a church that plants lots of churches across the Northeast, that we are a church that reaches people at the Church of England, currently isn't really reaching at the moment, that we train leaders to go off and church plant. We, have, we train interns. We release people into the workplace in the, in the city. All of the things that we spoke about a few weeks ago, But if all we focus on is the here and now and how we're going to make it through the next day, then we'll lose sight of the reason that God has called us here. And the reason that God has called us here is to join in with all the amazing churches that are already here in Newcastle to see God's kingdom come in this city as it is in heaven. These days will pass. But as we find ourselves in them at the moment, we need to remember that we're here to see hundreds, if not thousands of people that have never heard the name of Jesus come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now more than ever, we need to keep this long-term view in mind. It's challenging though, isn't it, all of this? Now we're not just doing this, we, can't, we don't just do these things just because they're in Jeremiah chapter 29, although that's reason enough. We do these things because Jesus himself did all five of these things that I've been talking about tonight. I think it was Tim Keller, but I'm not sure, but I think it was Tim Keller who said this, Jesus himself does absolutely everything he's calling us to do. When he called James and John to leave their father in the boat, he had already left his father's throne. And later, he's going to be ripped from his father's presence on the cross. It's going to look as if your life is taking you into dead ends, places where you'll get bloody. But don't try to go backwards. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Jesus Christ's kingship will not crush you. He was crushed for you. He followed to the cross so that you can follow into his arms. Jesus does everything that he's calling us to do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew that he was going to have to obey the will of the Father even though it was going to cause absolute agony for him. Jesus chose in that moment to trust the divine and sovereign plan that had been set out for all of eternity, to go through with the anguish of the cross. Just as we remember that it's the Lord that has carried us here, Jesus remembered that he'd been sent by his Father to die on a cross so that you and I might have eternal life and no freedom. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. God says, commit to the city. Commit to the people I've called you to. In John's gospel, in John chapter one, we read that Jesus leaves the throne room of heaven. The eternal word of God leaves the throne room of heaven and comes to the earth. And John says this, doesn't he? That he dwelt among us. The message, the message um, paraphrase of the Bible puts it like this, that he chose to pitch his tent among us. In other words, he literally, God became, in Jesus became man and chose to settle for 33, 35 years, however old he was. He chose to put down roots so that we could be saved. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. We're to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, to put that before our own needs. What did Jesus do when he came to the earth? When Jesus came to the earth, he chose to put your needs before his own. Paul writes about this in Philippians 2. He humbled himself even to death, to a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus saw our peace and prosperity so that we could be whole. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. Don't listen to false teaching. Well, Jesus didn't do that either, did he? Think about all of the lies that came at Jesus from all angles in the Gospels through his ministry, from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees, from the Herodians, from the devil himself when Jesus was in the wilderness. And what did Jesus do every time a lie came? He quoted the word of God and said... I'm here to do the Father's will, not your will. Even when it was unpopular, Jesus chose to speak the word of God. Of course he did. He was God himself. We're to do the same. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. And lastly, Jesus had the long term in mind. Do you know that from the moment well, for, from all of eternity, Jesus' face was set to the cross for you, for me, for those that He's choosing, those that He's saving. Jesus' face was set to the cross from before, before you were even well before you were conceived, before the foundation of the world, this plan was set into motion. When Jesus was on the Earth, the devil offered him a way out, again in the desert. The devil said to Jesus, Jesus, if you worship me, all the kingdom and all the glory, it will all be yours. And what did Jesus do? Instead of choosing the shortcut, Jesus chose to go the long way around, had the long term in mind and chose the cross for us. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. Now this is where we find ourselves on the 1st of November, 2020. In a strange time, in a strange place, whether we've lived in Newcastle all our lives or not, because of the new rules and regulations. We find ourselves not able to worship in the way that we'd normally worship. We find ourselves not able to to do community in the way that we normally do community. And yet God does have a plan. God carried you here. If you've been here for a few weeks and you've wondered, why on earth did I move to Newcastle? Perhaps you feel like that and you've been here for two years as a student or three years, I don't know. Remember that the Lord carried you here. If you're feeling unsettled in the best way that you can At the moment, despite the restrictions, choose to settle down. Choose to commit to the city for however long it is that you're called here. Because that's how you enact the sovereignty of God in your life. That's how you behave as if God really does have a plan for your life and he really has called you here. Seek the peace and prosperity of this city. For if it prospers, you too will prosper. Don't listen to the false teaching. Choose to submit to the authority of God's word and the truth that that has been uniquely revealed in Jesus and through the scriptures. And when it feels hard, when it doesn't feel like you can take another step, when it feels as if you're going to cry every single day, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the long-term view, even when that seems difficult and even when we don't understand God does rule he does reign he is always good but his plans aren't always ours can I invite us to stand where we are this is um well it's a challenging word isn't it but also it's a comforting word because um, these are the words of God from Jeremiah chapter 29 so how are you going to respond to this today you may want to put your hands out in front of you there's nothing special about that it's just almost like a sacramental sign that we're willing and ready to receive all that God has for us. And of those five things that we've looked at today, perhaps one of them just jumps out at you. You need to trust that God really has carried you here, that he has a plan for your life. You need to choose to commit more. To seek the peace and prosper, whatever it is, which any one of those things. And just as will sings over us now, let's choose to believe that God is good, and ask the Holy Spirit to work on whatever it is that He's put His finger on over this past few moments as we've been looking through these verses together. So let's just respond respond to this word now as Will sings and then we'll come up and lead some specific um, prayers for things that we feel God's touching on at the moment.
1: led me through the fire in darkest nights you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful Mm -hmm. All my life you have been so, so good He's never failed It would
0: be good for us to just pray for some specific circumstances and situations and people right now so i'm just going to lead us in some prayers and if these are particularly for you i just encourage you to do some business with god and just ask the holy spirit to apply the truth of jeremiah 29 um, the truth of what jesus did for you to your life in these in these different circumstances and situations so i'm going to start by praying for university students So we are acutely aware here at St. Thomas's that this is a very unusual time to be a student. We are very aware that lots of you do feel like prisoners in your homes and in your halls of residence. We are very much aware that lots of you feel like you're spending all of this money on this teaching and you're not getting much for it. And let's um, ask the Holy Spirit to apply the truth that it is the Lord that carried you here. So if you're a student, I just encourage you, um, again, if you want, just to put your hands out in front of you. And I'll just speak some words over you. is not Nebuchadnezzar not the Babylonian army not some strange force that has brought you to this place God has a plan and we pray for all of you here tonight that you might know God's peace his joy, his comfort. We pray that um, as a church together, we might learn to be content in every circumstance. And God, for students that are having to face a lot of physical distancing at the minute from the city, from building community. Um, We pray that they might know now more than ever and that they do not have to be socially distanced from you. Because Father, your son Jesus chose to leave the throne room of heaven and suffer the agony of separation on the cross so that we didn't have to be separate from you. Father, where there's sadness, we pray that you'd bring joy. Father, we pray that we might be the best community that we can be for those that are struggling and on their own at the moment. And may you know the peace, the joy, and the love of God. Amen. For those of you um, that are working in Newcastle at the minute and this is particularly, well for all of you but particularly if you've moved here recently um, again or whatever city it is that you're watching this from and you feel like what is my purpose? If that's you, again just you may want to put out your hands in front of you. say that you are not a second-class Christian because you don't have a job in the church or because you're not um, whatever it is that you felt that you would do everyone who's baptized everyone who's following Jesus is in full-time Christian ministry and the way that you'll seek the peace and prosperity of the city is by doing what God has called you to do and that's the way that you love God and love your neighbor as yourself and for those of you that just feel there's no purpose At the moment, we pray that God would reveal his purpose to you and that in some way you can build roots, commit to whatever it is that he's called you to do in this place at this time. Another one, just on um, verses 8 and 9 from Jeremiah chapter 29, which is about, you know, don't listen to the false teaching, don't listen to the lies. And There's some people here who are just carrying around lots of lies about themselves. That you're unlovable. That God, doesn't, God couldn't possibly have a plan for your life. Perhaps it's words that you've carried around for years. Perhaps they've been spoken over you by somebody that you loved, looked up to. And today, God says, don't listen to that false, that false teaching. Don't listen to those lies anymore. Instead, choose to believe what I say about you in my word. that I rejoice over you with singing. before the foundation of the world, I chose you to be holy and blameless in my sight. Father, we pray that we'd all walk with a greater confidence of who you are and who that makes us in you. Lastly, for those who um, feel like they've just been on the edge of society, you feel like you've been almost like God's people were choosing to live on the edge. If that's you here today, you feel like you've camped on the edge and you feel like an outsider, Um, God says you're not. And he says choose to commit, to live as if you are one of my chosen people in the place that I have called you to. So if that's for you again, we just pray, come Holy Spirit. if you're here today or you're watching this online and you would not call yourself a Christian but you've heard today about this amazing message that God gave to his people all those years ago and you've heard of what Jesus has done for you and you'd like to follow Jesus I'm going to pray a very simple prayer now and if this is for you just pray this in the quiet of your heart you may just want to put your hand over your heart just as a again just as a sign that you're praying this today and just echo these words. Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me, to take on all the wrong in my life. I say sorry for that, and I turn to you. Give me a fresh start. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And may I walk all my days knowing that I am a child of God. Amen. Amen.